Hey, kid. I'm going to ask you to do something. It's, it's a little something anybody ought to be able to do. Now, if you can do it, fine. We'll forget this whole thing. But if you can't, we'll think about getting you to see somebody fast. Is it a deal? Name it. Make fat shut up for five minutes. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation about black leather jackets, the midway point on season five of the original Twilight Zone. I had fun talking to Terry about it, um, but I just, you know, as is customary here on the show, anytime we mention an episode written by a certain Hamner, we have to just, you know, call that out. But we're not doing that right now. We're, we're actually, we're taking a break from Hamner and company. Um, I think I'm much need a break. We got we got 18 episodes into season five of the Twilight Zone original series, and we're doing some detours. And as we talked about last week, we're actually covering a movie this week. Um, yeah, I think this is the only the second like full like we've covered other films on this the series before on this one you know the show, but they've mostly been anthology. I think this is like the second like full length feature we've ever covered, um, and I think this is going to be a different and and fun conversation. And not too much of a departure from what we normally talk about, because Twilight Zone gets weird. I'm going to be straight with you, man. It's a weird movie. It's a weird movie. Very straight film. <laughs> it's It couldn't exist in, like outside. There's this weird like um, just moment in the 70s where it's like, can we treat things seriously? Yeah, well, it's a little weird. Yeah, well, here's a little bit of money. Okay, make it. Like I think this thing could have only existed as we now know it. Um, and there's a motorcycle gang outside now. I was talking shit about black uh, leather jackets. And now they're coming to get me. Um, yeah, I just got to point out. It's like we're getting closer to spring. So where I live, it's like either it's like super cold or the sun comes in and melts me. And it's like I'm in that weird three days where I have a window open and I'm not sweating yet. And now everybody's riding on mini bikes outside. That's Ohio for you, right? It's 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 March. That's what happens. It's like there's no snow. Time to get on the mini bikes and, and lawnmowers. And soon enough, you'll have fireworks in the background, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it's not happening right now. Everyone's like, woohoo, it's not cold out kind of fireworks. But yeah, um, so anyway, um, yeah, this this is this is going to get weird. It's very 70s weird, which is a particular kind of weird. And I think this is like, this is almost like right in my wheelhouse of where I kind of prefer a lot of this kind of cinema, where it's treated so seriously, but it's such a weird movie. And we're talking about 1978's Magic, which we talked, we mentioned it last week. Um, 
Yeah. Um, man, where do we start with this? We can start with uh, day and date. Um, also, I want to let people know, Terry, I don't know how you watch this. It, I, I watched it very, um, on HBO Max. It's part of that that streaming service, and it's a pretty good transfer. Yeah, I ended up doing the same thing. Um, a buddy of mine uh, has uh, been so gracious to uh, let me use his account. Uh, otherwise, I would have had to have paid for it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to my buddy who I will not name. <laughs> <laughs> But he does listen, so thanks for listening too. Yeah, see, like he paid the price. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. Uh, so yeah, this, uh, this, this movie is uh, available via streaming. But if you already have HBO Max, like it's already there, so go check it out. Uh, release date for Magic was November eighth, nineteen seventy eight. Um, little, little under thirty days since a certain co-host named me existed in the world because I was born just the month before. Um, so I, I was alive when this film was released. I mean, I can't tell you anything about it at the time. Cause you know, I was less than a month old, but I probably had strong opinions already. Um, number one film was called comes a horseman. I meant to look up what this film was. I don't know a goddamn thing about it. And the fact that like the name doesn't ring any bells is going to tell me that I probably don't care. And that's me being really dismissive. I, I've never even heard of it, so I, I couldn't speak to it either. Yeah, it was a it was a big year for film, though. Yeah. I mean, as far as horror was considered, uh, I mean, this was like a classic year. We had I spit I spit on your grave, uh, uh, George Romero's Martin, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the Donald Sutherland version, and of course Halloween and Dawn of the Dead, both two amazing films and part of my my favorites list. So. Perfect. This bit right in there. Yeah, no, you're right. That is a good year for all that. And comes a horseman, whatever that is. Number one song, You Needed Me by Anne Murray. You know, uh, Canada's Songbird. Um, I I just, I know that she had some some pleasant hits. I I had not listened to this one. You could tell the 70s is also a weird decade with like, like tonally, like in terms of this music and film. It's just, it was, you know, it is what it is, but it's just, it's a weird decade. Uh day and date stuff. I couldn't find anything in particular about the eighth. However, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you probably found this as well. 10 days later. So the 18th of November would be the Jonestown massacre that like I started reading about that today. I started to fall down a rabbit hole. I had to pull back. Like, I know what that is. If people all like a lot of people purposely drank poison and died, but there was a number of people that were forced to do so. And also shot. It is a crazy situation. And, uh, really, um, you know, like I said, you want to fall down a rabbit hole and find out about that, then do that. But who, it's not that I didn't know about it. I just didn't realize exactly what it took place and some of the context around it. Yeah. This was something that kind of was off my radar for the longest time. And then I watched a documentary about it about three years ago and it is kind of, it's upsetting that such a huge event isn't really talked about anymore. I mean, we talk, we always do like this remember what happened kind of, uh, um, you know, like idea where you'd want to fall into the same place. This cult, uh, run by, uh, Jim Jones, he was able to, uh, claim the lives of over 900 people at this camp, like just by him, his force. Yeah. Like it just shows you what people are capable of doing when, you know, just with their words. Well, and just even reading about how they would even do like, uh, like dry runs, of the mass suicide where he would tell people that they're getting poisoned. And then 45 minutes later, he'd be like, well, that wasn't real, but it was a loyalty test. Whew. Like that is all that is just terrifying and devastating. Yeah. That's wild, wild shit. And hopefully nothing ever happens like that again, because he was a, he was a psychopath. 
Well, um, yeah, yeah, but we what was it? we had Heaven's Gate later than like after it's like it's just it, it yeah anyway it's just uh it's it's something that I'm surprised Netflix hasn't put out like an eight part documentary series about it yet you know but watch I'll I'll say that now and I'll come out next week um but yeah let's just uh yeah that's that's some bad news to get into but it wouldn't be strange highways if we didn't get into something like horrific um about the real world but yeah um so positives I existed negatives Jonestown massacre you can weigh in your head how that works out. I like how you glaze past the fact that on the 17th, the star Wars holiday special came out. I didn't notice that, but okay. So, <laughs> so in terms of tragedy, no, <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, that I, I watched that. Was it like two, three years ago for invasion of the podcast? I'd never seen it. Um, that is a train wreck. It is just a nightmare of you know whatever was going on there like i'd say there's some fun there but that would be a straight up lie um that is, that is a terrible terrible thing and it's not just me being like but it's star wars no it's just every bad decision that could have been made was made with that why well, I, I i saw part of this at your place oh yeah that's right that i punished here. people with a little bit of it yeah that's right yeah i was like hey it's late we've all been drinking you're gonna watch the beginning of the star wars holiday special and then never talk to me again I thought you laced one of my cookies with LSD because I was just like, yeah. what in the hell is going on in this show? It was nope. a little wild. <laughs> I don't the, know I, what the hell they're planning. I just poisoned your show. mind with the star Wars holiday special. Yeah. We, I just, I don't think we even got to, um, yeah, there's the stuff that happens later, but anyway, <laughs> that's, it's bad. It's real bad. Um, and Terry's dying now, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was giving me flashbacks uh, that yeah. LSD trip that I had. You yeah, know, at your uh, place. Yeah, just <laughs> you, you have B Arthur flashbacks. I, I get it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, Let's not dying now. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're not dying now because that would have been weird after mentioning um, Jonestown and the Star Wars holiday special. So thank you for mm-hmm. that not happening because then I would have felt like doubly bad. Um, <laughs> like. Uh, and then also like, you know, the last Twilight Zone episode you would have saw was Black Leather Jackets. I've been like, no, I'm sorry, Terry. Uh, so this, yeah. this can't be the legacy of Terry on the, <laughs> this on the show. This can't be the legacy of Terry. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's get into uh, who who did what here. Let's just get into our, I always say, uh, you know, crew, but it's, we, I know there's a lot of other people that do other things here that we should mention, but let's, yeah. Who directed and wrote this? We got, there's, the, this thing is so front loaded with, uh, interesting people and crazy talent yes yeah there is there there's some surprising cast members uh part of this this whole thing so uh first of all we got our director here as richard attenborough um bro i I, I can never pronounce that name um so uh as far as his directing abilities i didn't didn't recognize anything he did but everybody would know this gentleman as um the the old dude from uh jurassic park john hammond you know, yeah, we spared yeah, yeah. no expense, you know, that guy. Yes. Yeah. And he was, he, he started Jurassic park. So he was in the first couple films. Uh, he was also Santa Claus in uh miracle on 34th street, the remake. And he was also in the great escape. Yeah. But you, okay. So you, you say you know much about his directing. So, uh, he, uh, this film and another film, it was called a bridge too far. He agreed to direct both of those in order to get funding for his passion project. Um, Gandhi. 
So he ended up making Gandhi. Uh, that was like, I don't know about you growing up, but that was always like one of those big important films, right? And, and, and rightfully so with Ben Kingsley. And it, so it's like, hey, you got to do the, the talking dummy movie. They go get to the biopic. He's like, I'll do it. It's fine. You know, um, and he also directed uh, Chaplin, the Robert Downey Jr. Um, but he plays Chaplin, the, you know, the biopic from uh, was 92. So Attenborough has like, I didn't realize how like varied of a career he had. And then also his brother, Oh shit. What's his name? His brother does the voiceover for the planet earth series. Um, so the Attenborough's, um, you know, pretty, pretty well off. Uh, David Attenborough does the voiceovers there. So very distinguished gentleman, uh, uh, Richard's no longer with us, but he also got like knighted all this stuff, like very, like just, well-lived dude. Right. But I didn't realize that he, I didn't realize that he was a director. I, I hate to say that because he was the uh, John Hammond in Jurassic park. Right. It's like, Oh, he's the guy that just eventually finds the ice cream because he forgot to have a, like a, a, a purposeful, good backup system to keep all the dinosaurs in bay. Oh, I guess you're going to ice cream now. Right. Like you, you want to hate him because it's like, you couldn't have like done like a complete, like triple fail safe for, I don't know, T-Rexes and Raptors. But hey, at least you get the ice cream now. And he got to do Gandhi later. So that's it, or earlier. Actually. Earlier, yeah. yeah I, I feel t- terrible that I have not seen, uh, I don't know, probably two of the biggest films of uh, of that era in Gandhi and uh, the Chaplin film. I, uh, I guess I just, I, well, they were I, mean, I don't know. TV. I don't know if they're like, I don't know if Chaplin was big. I just know that it was important for um, for what it was because it was a biopic of Charlie Chaplin, right? So, and I've not seen that either. I know Gandhi was a big deal. Um, but yeah, anyway, like just this guy, like some prestige films, right? And it's like, holy shit. And, and, and you're making this very distinct genre movie just to say, yeah, I'll do, it's very, um, you know, it's like, Hey, I'll do, I'll do this and I'll bring, I'll bring my best foot forward to make this film. If you guys are giving me money to make the movie I want to make, you know, that's cool. Like I, I, you, you still kind of see that now with directors where they'll, they'll make the movie that like scores the, um, the studio big time. Like I, I will say that Christopher Nolan, right? Like he, you know, the dark Knight made so much money for Warner brothers. He's like, yeah, now I get my passion project. It's called inception. And it's like, cause that movie probably wouldn't have been made without no one bringing them a lot of money first. Right. Yeah, I mean, even though he had such a name for himself already, I don't know why he needed to have to prove himself. But you know, well, so fair enough. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I I think like you know, Memento and Insomnia were both really good movies, but I don't know if they were like they weren't like. Uh, I mean, it, the Batman Returns was was you know was good, but like it didn't make Dark Knight money. You know, like I I think it's one of those things that once you kind of like you know like do big 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 big, you get to do the one thing you want to do. Um, but I don't know. I'm just trying to think who else recently has kind of gotten the ability to do the passion projects they want to make, but this is, but this is back in the seventies. It's like, yeah, we'll give you, what was the budget for this thing? The budget for this film for magic was, um, they said 7 million at the time and it had a box office of 23. So it definitely made, you know, you factor in advertising on stuff. It made more than double its money back. So that's a good return on investment. Is that enough to be like, okay, now we're going to give you the money to make your passion project that this biopic right different times yeah but i mean i know that uh john carpenter had to do the same thing to make uh um oh shit what what film came right after halloween 2 i can't remember right now but he had to do halloween 2 before he got to make uh halloween 3 actually he wanted to make halloween 3 and they were like yeah but we need that michael guy again <laughs> but 
Fair but, enough. Uh, yeah. So back to our movie, the movie that we actually covered. <laughs> yeah. So um, our writer on this is William Goldman. Uh, he did uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, The Princess Bride, and The Ghost in the Darkness. Um, he also did a, a bunch of other things, but those are the things that were most noticeable to, or notable to me. Yeah. I mean, and we should also mention that he wrote the book, uh, magic and was able to do the screenplay for this. And also he wrote the book, the princess bride, which, um, you talk about like the blacklist about like, um, popular scripts that sit unproduced. Uh, I believe the princess bride set for 15 years before it was made, but everybody loved it, but no one would touch it. Uh, he also did, uh, the screenplay for marathon man, which I need to see. It has Dustin Hoffman. It's supposed to be really, really good. Um, but yeah, he did a lot of things, right? Another one of those guys that like, I didn't realize how, how far his influence is uh, for what he's done. But yeah, like again, like, oh, Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, you know, that, um, you know, kind of an important movie. Princess Bride, people love it. Uh, and he also wrote a book about uh, a guy with a dummy that talks to himself. Okay. Yeah, that All right. Big career, man. Yeah. Lots of things that he touched that, um, were big in one way or another. I mean, even he did a couple of adaptations of screenplays uh, for Stephen King novels, Dreamcatcher and Hearts in Atlantis. Yeah, Dreamcatcher so. we won't talk about, but I've not seen Hearts in Atlantis, which actually has Anthony Hopkins in it. And now I think about yep. it. Uh, score here was done by Jerry Goldsmith. Um, you know, it's just worthy of noting because, you know, he's also an important composer. And people will remind me many, many, many moons ago, I got him confused with John Williams and the that's it. Like, you guys can make the joke. I made a mistake once. I see you all. But Jerry Goldsmith did this. Score's really good. Also, the lack of score at times is very effective. Very effective in this movie. Definitely, and uh, some of the, the the cues and sound and all that, like, they work really well in this film. I mean, I don't know how, how much we need to say about Mr. Goldsmith. Like, he was a phenomenal talent. Worked on so many different projects. I just look up his IMDb, and you're going to get floored by how much this man uh, was able to achieve. Yeah, and he did a number of different pieces of music for the original Twilight Zone too. So there's your connection as well. He did, um, uh, he did the music for the episode called Back There. He did the music there that we ended up uh, hearing again in season four's episode Death Ship. That very creepy, foreboding music. The music there's amazing, and he he made that. Yeah, uh, it's what I t- my note was. Uh, he, he contributed to 54 episodes of Twilight Zone. Uh, probably a lot of stock music that yeah, they had already. Yeah, but like some but, of it was directly his, some of it was borrowed from other things, but you're right. He contributed a lot. So, um, and I know our cast, we go, uh, Anthony Hopkins is our lead in this. Uh, he plays Corky and he also plays the, the voice of Fats, the, the puppet. And, uh, he, he, people would know him from, of course, Silence of the Lambs, uh, the whole series, Hannibal, all that. Uh, but he, some of his lesser known, uh, things that he had done, uh, from, for my sake, at least was a uh, free Jack. <laughs> really ridiculous film with uh Mick Jagger, Jagger. And, <laughs> and Emilio. And Emilio. Yeah. Um, he, I guess he was in Westworld, which I still need to see that. He's in the first um, season of Westworld. I like yeah. that. That may come as a spoiler because he's not in the later seasons, but he's in the first season. He's really good at it. Yeah. Uh, he, he plays, uh, he, he's also in Thor and he was in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I absolutely adore. Yeah. So I, I was taken aback by him in this, not because I mean, we'll, we'll talk about his performances, which is great, uh, unhinged and wonderfully wobbly, which is what you need from this. But when I think of Anthony Hopkins, I think of the first thing that I think of him is silence of the lambs. And I'm like, who is this guy? Uh, what was, he was only in the film for like maybe 20 minutes. And that was like his first Oscar win in 91. Um, he actually kind of was, he's been acting for quite a bit. Um, and he did a lot of stage work. 
Um, but let's see here. What was it? Uh, he, a couple quotes I had here, uh, about from one, he said, uh, um, he stated his father's working class values have always underscored his life. So there's a quote from him. Whenever I get a feeling that I may be special or different, I think of my father and I remember his hands, his hardened, broken hands. I think that's important. I think that also colors this character that we're about to talk about. Uh, he was an understudy to Lawrence Olivier, which is amazing. And then Attenborough, who worked with him, like I think five times, said, unquestionably the greatest actor of his generation. After this, he went on to be in The Elephant Man, um, which I've not seen. I need to. Uh, and then he did a lot of work in the eighties in the theaters. And then he was about to like call it quits. Cause he moved to Hollywood in like the eighties and didn't get any like real big film roles. And then he does Sansa lambs and becomes like this, like instant, like how do you become an overnight success doing things for 20 years? He's that guy. And then, you know, you mentioned Bram Stoker's Dracula Westworld. He's currently as of two days ago, nominated for best actor for his uh, role in the film called, uh, the father where he plays an older gentleman that is starting to succumb to like dementia and it's supposed to be like this phenomenally like soul crushing movie, but he's currently nominated again for best actor. Yeah. So he's still out there kicking ass. I mean, he's a terrific actor and I mean, I don't know who would not know him and, and, and some of his amazing roles, but you know, like it, look up his IMDb. Yeah. You're going to find a great film. You're going to find something amazing to watch because he is always stellar in everything I've ever seen. Even, him even the one transformers movie he's in and he's a mission impossible too. So the- <laughs> there you go like you know anthony hopkins all over the place yep. so and then next here we have uh ann margaret um she plays peggy Ann peggy and snow um actress singer uh she worked with elvis on uh viva las vegas um she was in grumpy old men and the sequel and she was uh, i didn't know this but she was in uh the christopher maloney uh show happy yeah uh i, I saw that as well she's still working um, so I, I want to mention, this is the thing I didn't know about her. Uh, so when she was in Viva Las Vegas with Elvis, she recorded three duets with him and, um, and only one of them made it into the final film and none of them were commercially released until years after Elvis's death due to concerns by, uh, Colonel Tom Parker that Anne Margaret's presence threatened to overshadow Elvis. Think about that for a second. I, it's, it, I mean, She's a hell of a lot better actress than Elvis was. I I mean, I mean, how many topless scenes did he have though? That's what I got to ask. No, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, but the fact that she brought like the, she was originally billed as like the female Elvis because of her voice being a little bit like, you know, like a little bit lower and more sultry. Right. Um, so she, she, had a lot going on and then kind of like, she also got nominated for uh, uh, two Oscars in 71 for Crow knowledge and then 1975 for Tommy. Um, like, so she had, you know, she was big. And then like in the eighties, it kind of, it kind of like quieted down a little bit. And you mentioned grumpy old men. Uh, she got nominated for an Emmy and in, in, in 2010 for an episode of uh, special victims unit. Uh, so to, speaking of Christopher Maloney. Um, yeah. Like, and Margaret, like, just, I feel like if it hadn't been for men scared of her ability to do things like not, I mean, it wasn't that she wasn't big. She could have been bigger. Yeah. And she's terrific in this, uh, in this movie. And I, you know, I'm kind of ashamed that I don't know much more of her, um, her back catalog from, you know, before this and yeah. after that. Cause I, 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 I mean, she's very, very beautiful and I'm, yeah, I'm gorgeous. surprised that she didn't Just, get much more roles either. Like I like, I, yeah, they're pretty big roles, I guess for that time. 
But I feel like with her looks and her charisma, she probably could have even done bigger roles than that. Well, there she um, there was the Western that I've, I'd not seen from this time called Cat Baloo. I forget who was the lead of that. Um, I stopped to look it up. But uh, that was a pretty big, successful Western that had a female lead. And her agent turned it down without telling her. So, huh. yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just, um, again, one of those things where it's like, like, you know, a lot of output, a lot of success, you know, got recognized, didn't quite. I mean, again, what's an Oscar other than like the industry congratulating you? So, I mean, to get nominated is still important. It isn't like she didn't do like important work and it isn't effective. Um, yeah. But yeah, she is just, uh, just, I, when she's in this movie, I'm like, why are you talking to old man face Anthony Hopkins this entire time? You know, anyway, like I, I just want to say this right now. If they, if they did something now where they did like a de-aging, like they do with some of the Marvel movies where they make people look younger. If they did that, to Anthony Hopkins, it would look like him in this movie and people would be like, no, he still looks like an old man. Why, why are you doing that? That's, that's a, I guess that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Perpetual that, old he, man he, face. <laughs> if, yeah. If you just grayed out his hair, it, it I mean, it looks kind of like what he looks like. Now I just, I just kind of, I just like. kind of believe he was born with that face. It's like, it's like him. It's like he, and uh, he has Bushimi disease. It's like, they're always going to be old, no matter how young they were. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, uh, next here on our cast, we got Burgess Meredith, um, uh, twilight zone alum. Uh, he was in four episodes of the twilight zone. Um, time enough at last, Mr. Dingle's strong, uh, the obsolete man. And one of my personal favorites, the printer's devil. And, um, that he is a terrific, uh, he was a terrific actor. Um, you know, like it's, I, there's not a whole lot that I can hold against this gentleman. He was, he was in stellar in every role I've ever seen him in. Uh, you know, he, he of course was Mick in uh, the Rocky movies. Uh, terrific, terrific guy. Um, Clash of the Titans is one of my personal favorites. Oh, and I, you know, I take that back. I, I, I said earlier that there's only been a handful of feature length movies we talked about on the show. Uh, he was in the Manitou. We covered the Manitou a couple years ago. He was in it for a little bit. That movie's weird. It's wonderfully weird. He was also in uh, burnt offerings which um, I don't know if you've seen that or not, Terry, that's, I feel like that would have been a really good bookend to this movie. Um, yeah. I have not seen either one of them, but um, it's fun that you brought up the Manitou because that actually came out in 78 as well. There you go. And if people want to get into like this magic is a weird film. Manitou is weird in way different ways. And I highly recommend people go check that out because it's also treated seriously and it gets ridiculous in the end. But I like that like Burgess Marathon like didn't ever turn on a role and he was always committed. Like I love his, like, we'll talk about his performance in this. Um, I just wrote my notes here. I didn't really get into like his background because we've talked about him several times through the course of the twilight zone. I just wrote, we know him and love him. And I, and that's, it was, it was great seeing him in this. Uh, I yeah, I was super excited to find out that he was in this film, and it made me want to watch this even more. So um, yeah, so next uh, we got Ed Lauder. I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, Lauder. Lauder. Yeah. Um, uh, he plays Duke. Uh, uh, some people may know him from uh, Death Wish Three, mm -hmm. uh, Cujo. The thing that I immediately recognized this dude from though was he was in Revenge of the Nerds Two, Nerds in Paradise. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, that's the dude who runs the hotel and he's a sleaze bag. <laughs> Very recognizable character actor, right? Like you, yeah. you see him and it's like, oh, he's going to be upset with somebody. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I most know him from death wish three. He's like the police guy that brings in uh Chuck Bronson to be like, I know, I know, we, I know you were the vigilante in the first two movies. So I got to keep you off the books. You're not an officer, but go in and just shoot these street punks and I'll back you up or whatever. Right. Like it's ridiculous. Uh, he was also in Breakheart Pass, another Charles Bronson film uh, that has an amazing score. Um, and then he was also in uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's last film, Family Plot. So I think that's worthy of mentioning. And um, t- to not discredit like his output, he appeared in three Best Picture uh, nominees and Born on the Fourth of July, Seabiscuit, uh, and The Artist. So also in with some of the prestige work as well. Yeah, and Born on the Fourth of July is a terrific film. Um, but yeah, so next we have, uh, EJ, uh, Andrew, uh, Andre, I'm sorry, uh, EJ Andre, um, very small role in this, but he plays Merlin. Um, he was also in the 10 commandments and an episode of night gallery. Yeah. That's all I got for him as well. So, uh, that's it for, uh, for my notes. Okay. Who else I have two more people have? here. Uh, David Ogden Stiers as Todson, which I'm not sure who he was, but he might've been. Uh, he might have been like the TV guy that shows up to watch the act um, when Burgess Meredith's talking to him about like, hey, you got to, you know, you got to check this kid out. Um, he was in 131 episodes of MASH as Major Charles Winchester. So that would come after this. Uh, he was the voice of Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast uh, and lots of TV and voiceover work, like ridiculous amounts of voiceover work. But I mean, again, if you're going to do Disney, like you're going to be in a lot of things. And the last person I have here is Jerry House as the cab driver. I, with the, like with the most seventies looking like, you know, hairdo and, and jacket, right. Everybody had to have that green army jacket, uh, 1977 slap shot. So the year before this, I love slap shot. That's a wonderful, raunchy hockey comedy with Paul Newman. I don't know if you've seen that Terry or not. Unfortunately, I have not seen it. You would adore people, it. It's, it's great. It's just so it's, it's a solid movie, but some of the things that go on there, it's just, there's a scene in Paul Newman, um, I, it's just, it's different. Like there's a bit where he's trying to provoke a goalie on the other team into, cause the whole thing is like they're the TV plays for the Johnstown Johnstown chiefs are being threatened to be moved to Florida if they don't like do well. So he uh, starts playing like this, like really aggressive style of hockey where people get into all these fist fights and provokes the other team. And just Paul Newman skating around this goalie that has dirt on the goalie's wife. And that's all I'll say because it's it's really R-rated language that he uses to provoke the goalie to get out of the net to fight him is really really funny. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised I haven't seen it. Unfortunately, it's, it's well, another sports movie that I need to watch. Eh, you know, it is a sports movie, and I like. I just, at some point once uh, once we get past the plague, um, we should we should watch Slapshot. I think that'd be a great time. But also to mention, Jerry House did he did a lot of he's he's done a lot of animated work as well. He voiced um, a, a one of the Transformers and two episodes of the original series. So I thought that was worthy of note as well. Woot. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I could see that he had, he had done a whole bunch of voice work. That's awesome. Apparently, he did the voice of uh, Hank Pym in Marvel Ultimate Alliance, the video game. So that's a great game. So, yeah, so nice. there you go. So that's that's your cast and crew. Um, we don't have Serling here to tell us about this, um, but we do have the trailer, and it is 70s as all get out. So uh, we're going to play the trailer for Magic, and then we'll get into this. 
heart begins to pound, when your mind begins to go, keep telling yourself, it's only a movie. You do magic too? Corky does magic. I only do tricks. There's never been a magician like him. How long you been like this, kid? You never really told why you were here. Hiding. Wasn't that cheap in New York? You want success, but you're afraid of it. I figured I'd stop by here and ask you folks about you. I'm not afraid. Where were you living? What city? How many kids? I'm not afraid. I never expected to find you. I've loved you all my damn life. I won't be here! Hey. I was afraid of success. Like you said, I needed to get my head on straight. And now you're fine? Sure, on account of Peg. I've known her ever since high school. I never figured I'd have a chance with her. Peg Hands, no, Peg Hands, no. Please, let me follow wherever you go. It's you and me take off. I love Peg. Just the two of us. Now everything's changed. She believes me. A man appears after 15 years. Says run away with me. Don't do it. Oh, please, don't kill her. Century Fox. There we go. That's um, yeah, magic with uh, very like serious music, which is you know, I, I like the, I like the music in the trailer. Um, I also think that uh, trailers are kind of a lost art. That this movie doesn't give away everything, but it definitely makes you feel um, weird about the movie, and rightfully so because this is a very weird movie and the best possible way. Yeah, you get, I think it would definitely have gotten me intrigued to see what the hell it's talking about because it. You know, we're only hearing the audio; we're not seeing the trailer itself. But just all of the, all of that worked really well for me, and didn't give away too much at all. Yeah. So, I'm going to put it on you, Terry. What's this film about? <laughs> okay. So, to give it a, like the brief rundown, um, Corky is a a, magi- a magician who's trying to get off the ground with his uh, abilities and that, and really turn himself into a showman. Um, he has been trained by uh, a gentleman named Merlin and he feels like he has very strong skills and he's just looking for a shot and he's striking out all over the place. Uh, the opening sequence of the film is actually him being at a, like a amateur night and he bombs, he, he loses his cool too and freaks out on the audience. And, um, you know, like, Merlin tells him, like, you got to refine your skill. You got to know people like get, get your shit together and get out there again. So we fast forward a year and he's back at the, uh, the club. But now it looks like the place is sold out. The play, place has a line out the door and um, a TV executive is going to check out the show because he was invited there by Burgess Meredith's character, um, uh, Ben. And Ben is like, he's basically a talent scout slash, um, agent. Like he's, he's an agent. agent. Yeah. yeah. So, and he, he talks to a TV executive guy and says, Hey, you got to see this dude tells him basically nothing else about him and just lets, um, 
Corky get on stage and start doing a spiel. And, you know, he's, he, he, he's a magician. He does some sleight of hand stuff, but he's, he's kind of uh, fumbly. And uh, all of a sudden from out of the crowd, uh, a voice starts heckling him. But when he goes to bring that person up on stage to, um, to confront them, we find out that it's, it's fats. It's his, uh, it's a ventriloquist puppet that he has. That's part of his, his, his spiel. And once he brings fats on stage, he owns the stage, he owns the crowd. And from that moment forward, the executive is like, this guy, we got to get this guy on the air. And of course, Ben is like, I told you. So through all of this, we know that Ben has been, he's been looking at Corky as the next big thing. And he promises him, hey, you just, you do what you got to do. Um, listen to me. We're going to put you on easy street, man. You're going to be, you're going to be a big star. So we fast forward a little bit and it seems like Ben has worked out a lot of things for Corky to get onto a pilot episode of his own show. But the catch, the catch to this whole uh, thing is that Corky will have to see a doctor and get, you know, a physical, a checkup prior to signing the contracts and everything. And that's where we get to a hang up. Yeah. Cause he's like, I don't want to, I don't want doctors poking around at me. It's the principal. And then because he's on this precipice of like success, he freaks out. Ben's confused because he's like, is this a deal breaker? He's like, yeah. And then Corky runs away uh, to the Catskills, right? Supposedly like upstate New York, which I guess this was all shot in California. Couldn't tell me that it's, I couldn't, you know, it was all muddy and Brown, very seventies. I, I, I made the comment while watching the movie that I was very happy to see like, an off season, like vacation area with like muddy roads and looking gritty because now if it was a current production, everything would be pretty. And this thing is like muddy and looks like a real place you would find in the off season. But he goes up to this cabin, these small cabins and, and books a place. Uh, and it turns out that he's very purposeful in getting there and also pays a cabbie. Like, I don't know. Like he gave him like a hundred dollars as a tip. Like how far did that cab travel from the city to this place? Did you ask yourself that question? I feel like he was in that cab for hours. Like, how much was that? That had to have been a well, lot of money. Well, of course, he's taking the tour, too. But um, Yeah, that's right, because he, that, he's going home, and you see flashbacks right. of his home, his growing up, going to, like, the the cemetery to see, like, his I think his father being buried. Uh, but it all, what it all comes back to is he had a crush on a girl, uh, Anne Margaret, which we all would, and he wants to, you know, wants to see what's up with that. You know, <laughs> and he goes and rents a cabin that she owns. And, uh, yeah. And that's where we pick up. Right. And I, I should say the tagline for this film is, um, a terrifying love story. Right. And I think that's what they said during the trailer. Um, I think that's kind of where we are. And, uh, fats fats is the more, um, aggressive of, uh, of the duo with this act. And that's where we kind of are. Yeah, Corky seems a little bit more reserved, especially in important conversations. He doesn't know how to keep his cool because uh, when um, you know Ben is a little bit more forward about like why do why is this a deal breaker? Why can't we make this happen? Uh, what's what's the hang up? Uh, Corky loses it and uh, yells at him on the phone and then just takes off. So he just really doesn't know how to deal with confrontation at all. So you know. Here at this um, 
this campground, uh, which is owned by Peggy, um, he hasn't said to her who he is, and he he obviously knows who she is. But we fast forward just a tiny bit, and she actually recognizes him too. But like we also find out that he's been on Carson and you know a few other shows as well. Yeah. So he's not he's he's at this point he's kind of a known person in in the right circles. Maybe if you hadn't watched late night television, you may have not caught his his um, routine. But you know, and they pretty much they kick it off right away. <laughs> like, they are yeah. chumming it up, man. And uh, good for Anthony Hopkins because <laughs> yeah, she she was still super beautiful at that time too. Well, I just could we just take a step back and, and realize that anybody with the name Corky is never meant to be happy and successful. Uh, can we just be honest about that? Like your name's Corky. Like where 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 are you going? Where do you think that's going to go? I I don't know. I mean, like I they, could, <laughs> they should have gave him a better name. Corky's is a. Corky is a bad name for the dude. Yeah, like, I, uh, we were trying to figure out. We tried to figure out what that was short for, like Corkford, uh, Corkington. I didn't. I couldn't figure out what his his real name would be. You know, um, but uh, yeah. So I guess before we go any further, I'm going to throw all these out here. I'm going to borrow a button from another show that I do here. One of these. Do you know why they are called spoilers? Um, Terry and I hadn't actually seen this movie until like until we picked it for the show to talk about it. Uh, there is moments in this that I don't want to ruin for people. If they've not seen this, I would say if you listen to this now, um, we are, you already know there's a ventriloquist dummy that is aggressive, that Anthony Hopkins is the person, you know, that is quirky and the voice of fats. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't want to rob anybody of, there is a lot of awesome stuff in this movie. There's also some great laugh out loud moments in this movie too. I don't want to ruin that for people who have not watched it. So please stop listening now. Pause watch the film and come back because we're going to spoil parts. Unfortunately, during our discussion, because when we say this movie gets weird, it gets weird. Yeah. When you, when you put the spoiler out there, I mean, this is like the point of no return for, for the listener. So if you don't know anything about this film, if for some reason you don't want to see this film, I, I, I don't understand because it's actually, it's pretty interesting film uh, to say the least. I think it's, I think it's a great movie. I think it is very uh, much of its time. And I, this could have been a train wreck and it's not, I mean, there's some bits, like I said, like I said, there's stuff I laughed out loud about that. I don't think was meant to be funny, but there's so much that works for this that, Oh God, this was, this was a great first time watch for me. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, so back into it, we go. Um, so they, they are starting to rebuild this friendship that they had from years ago. Um, it seems like the falling out happened pretty quickly. Um, from when they were in high school, Corky had it out of town, uh, but they never had a relationship. Uh, but through discussions here, we find out that Corky really had a thing, uh, for Peggy and Peggy, she had known it, but she, I think she was kind of waiting for Corky to pull the trigger. And instead she ended up with, I believe Duke was the guy that she ended up going with yeah. uh, while they were in school. So they got married, Duke and Peggy, and um, you know, through some, I guess, some financial decisions, um, he had moved to be uh, a real estate agent, and they also inherited uh, the campgrounds. So you know, like they did well for a little while there, but 
the uh, the tourists stop coming in. So she's not she's kind of keeping down the fort while Duke goes off and makes money. So Duke is not there at this point. Um, but uh, you know, like they they are kindling their friendship a little bit more. Um, Corky and and Peggy, uh, and they have like a walk around the lake and that. And well, before that, when he shows up to her house, like after he rents the the cabin, right? I'm I'm cutting off. I apologize. Oh, that's uh, fine. He, whenever he's like, oh, she doesn't recognize me. Cause he's like, can I rent? She's like, we're out of season. He's like $50 a night. She's like, I guess we're open, which is funny. Like on purposely funny. And then she rents the cab and he ends up getting things set up. And he's like, I don't think she knows who I am. And then you mentioned that she's like, I don't think he knows who I am, but he comes in with, with the puppet. The next time he comes to the house, he's just like, oh, hi. I think I, and, and, and the puppet was like, why are you guys being quiet? You know, you know each other. Like he's letting the puppet like speak. Like he's the puppet saying the quiet things out loud. Right. Which Christ, if it was 2021 with this thing going on right now, who knows what he'd be saying. But, um, yeah, if for some reason fats is the icebreaker, like the icebreaker between the two of them. And she really warms up the fats, which I get it from the movie and it plays well. I feel like um, you and I of our generation, if anybody comes up and was like, hey, you may not remember me from high school, but here's a ventriloquist dummy that's going to talk on my behalf. I don't know if we'd still, I, I don't think that would be a good way to rekindle a friendship, let alone a uh, relationship. You know, just going to throw that out there. I'd be like, oh, wow, you've picked up ventriloquism. Cool. Well, that'll be $50 a night. Um, there's towels outside. Let me know if you need anything. I'm going to call the cops. <laughs> right yeah or at least call duke and be like get here quick <laughs> like, yeah, like seriously hey, i know we have a loveless marriage but you need to come back right now and see what's going on you know like you got to see the gut the wood this guy is sporting right now i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean um, to, to I make a couple of different jokes about uh about anthony hopkins uh you know uh, woody being handled throughout the entire movie i may have you know I, I'm, I'm not without <laughs> sin here they're never gonna get old either <laughs> no I, I i think that is a good uh a story point that I, I glazed over here. Fats uh, is an extension of Corky. The the only way that he can really be, I, I guess, like outward or a little bit more forward for what he's got to say, it's got to be done through Fats. It, like we're we're gaining a little bit more knowledge of what Fats is really for Corky. It's um you know it's his wingman. Um, I was getting, I was getting like a interesting, like, uh, like Seth Brundle vibe from him, like the beginning part of the fly, right? Like the Jeff Goldblum where it's like, he's comfortable in his own world, but you bring an attractive woman in he, and he doesn't understand how to say anything. So he lets his work kind of be the buffer between and it's effective. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, it's just uh, Hopkins here. Like, uh, like as much as he sometimes gets a little extreme, which is perfectly fine for this film you you get his struggle and he just sells the hell out of it. And, and you know, and the fact that he's uh, playing two roles at this point too, is actually pretty interesting in its own right as well. Um, you know, being fats as well. Now, I don't know. Did you, is he actually doing the Vitrilka's part of this at the exact same time or? Yes. And was no, that like- he's doing some of like some of the stuff. I'm sure when they actually had to have him put his hand into the puppet, like they'd do some of that, but they actually had a known uh, ventriloquist like help with that. However, okay. um, 
he learned he learned how to do like like you see there's a bit before when he's still in the city where he's going through the mirror like not through the mirror but he's like looking in the mirror with fats and trying to get some of the the um the dialogue out without moving his his lips uh hopkins learned how to to do what ventriloquists do he you know i don't know how successful he was at actually projecting his own voice but he does the voice of fats and you watch in this movie, every time Fats is talking, you do see his lips move and his uh, Adam's apple move a little bit too. So he's he's doing credit to the movie too because they could have easily just ADR'd that and you wouldn't have thought twice about it. But it's important. So he learned how to do it. I don't know how effective it was. And per the trivia, when he was given the doll to work with it the one night, uh, he freaked out and said, "Somebody get this away from me! I'm going to throw it into the canyon." So Richard Attenborough had to come over and calm him down because he was too weirded out by the doll, which is the right response. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 dummies like this are, are, are creepy as hell. I mean, yeah, I've seen plenty thing, of this thing is articulate. Like the, the facial expressions it's able to pull off is amazing for its time. You know, like, yeah, especially the upper lip <laughs> thing where it's able to show its teeth yeah. freaked me out. I was like, I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also too, I should mention now before we get, cause there's the sequence you mentioned them walking around the lake. There's a, there's an element here I want to ask you about in a minute. Uh, and you talked about him performing on stage. Um, all of that close up magic with him using the cards, that's him. He learned how to do that. His, his card shuffling and all the things where he fans the cards out and how he moves around with his hands. He learned how to do that. And that is impressive. Like you may not think about that now watching a movie in the modern day, because everything can kind of be cheated. Not this. There's that bit where he's like sitting at the table with her uh, and they're taking decks cards and trading them. And he's like, you know, like shuffling them and then spreading them out real quick. And she's not like he is smooth. And then when he does the close up magic on the lake where she keeps handing rocks to him, and he's making them disappear smooth like you like he could have been he could have been a magician if he wanted to be anthony hopkins seems like the kind of guy that just wants to pick up uh trades and just like keep those in his back pocket for whenever he needs them again and for him to have taken on like these things uh, it just shows the commitment uh that he has to the role yeah like the rising ace that he does on the stage like oh my gosh like that is this I, I believe he did that. Like, I, I mean, I don't see any evidence to suggest otherwise, just his ability to like to move with like precision and a seasoned veteran close-up magician, like that takes commitment. And it's a small thing that it's done so well here that you don't think about it, but I couldn't stop thinking about it because I don't know about you now, the more I watch media and I, I talk to like talk to you and like my other co Steve, you 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 always are always watching something for entertainment, and there's always that that veil of like how'd they do that? And I couldn't stop thinking in a good way at how effective he was to where the average viewer that's in this movie wouldn't think twice about how competent and effective he is. It's beautiful to see his hands work with the cards. And there was a, uh, some other other subtleties to the character that he was doing as well. When he was in the cab going up to the lake, he's rolling a coin. Oh, yeah, that's who. Yeah, he's knuckles. the back of these knuckles. Yeah, that's amazing. While a car's moving. I for, yeah, you're right. Good call. I, forgot, I was going to mention that. I forgot about it. Yeah, so I mean, like, again, like, he is able to really project the character very well. And I think that he, like, if he wasn't a magician and you just – threw him in this film and he didn't know any of those tricks. You probably wouldn't have second thought any, uh, anything that was going on in the film, but you really have to pay attention to his character 
uh, and like the commitment that he had to the role. Like he really did do a lot of work to I, I, I make you believe that he was a magician. What even like okay, so um, the the, the I'll, I'll I'll do this and this will pivot this into this part of the conversation. Whenever uh, um, Peggy meets Fats and uh, Corky again, and 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 Corky has his back to her, but Fats is looking at her, and she's like, "Oh, like um, do you do um, like do you do magic or whatever?" And Corky and Fats is like, "No, Corky does magic. I do tricks. I think it's a very important line in the film." And then later, there's a discussion about how. Uh, Corky believes that his mentor Merlin, uh, Merlin Jr. By the way, like I like the idea that there was a Merlin Senior out there, you know, creating the Knights of the Round Table. Um, how in his last days, Merlin and his wife were trying to find like this break this barrier, like this like like ESP barrier of like communication. And we get a little bit of here where it's like if people are in line, they're thinking hard enough, they can communicate. And we have this bit of of him. Um, trying to show her via cards of like him pulling a card, him looking at it, and then her trying to pull a card. That sequence, which I mentioned him like you know shuffling cards, he starts getting angry, and how fast he shuffles the cards without missing a beat is scary and amazing. And how fast he he flips script too, like yeah. he up until that point, he's very uh, charismatic. He wants to show her this trick. He's excited about. Uh, showing her how to do the trick and when it goes awry and they don't they don't sync up they don't actually have the same card he is so pissed off he's sweating profusely and and like you said like he but he has like this ability to still focus on the cards he's looking directly at her he's not even looking at the cards. Th- that's right that's a good call there's times where he's doing this where it's like he's not even looking down and it is just it's magnetic like i'm i'm maybe i'm overselling it but I just, you know, not that I have the best knowledge of how films are made. It just, that that's, that's a single take that's happening right there. However many times they had it happen. I don't know, but I'm going to guess not many because I, for everything I've read about Hopkins, he is pretty good about like memorizing. He did, um, was there was a seven page, uh, dialogue that he read for Amistad on the Spielberg film that he did like in one take and Spielberg just like was flabbergasted and always referred to him as a uh, Sir Hopkins. He never could call him Tony because he was just in awe of what Anthony Hopkins can do as a performer um, because of his commitment to be on that set that day, to see him just being like this raging sweaty man, like just doing all this card stuff and making direct contact, like eye contact with Anne Margaret that had to have been intense. And I mean, even as a viewer, um, the intensity of the scene is like, you, he almost looked like it was going to beat the shit out of her. And it's, it's, yeah. It's upsetting. You just never know. You, do, you you don't know what he's going to do next, which makes it worse to watch, and in a good way as a movie viewer, right? Like, and it's very similar to what what we had seen earlier in the film when he loses his cool at the club. Yeah, uh, no one's paying attention to him. Everybody's being uh, rude, and that he just like he he freaks out. So, but this time, through all this intensity and that, and. Uh, basically yelling at uh, Peggy to do the trick correctly and really make sure that she focuses. They, they, they pick the correct card. They get the right card. And he's like, I didn't fail. I didn't fail. Like this, this uh, overall uh, overwhelming uh, sense of uh, relief that he didn't screw up this time. And I think that's kind of like something that they didn't really focus on enough as, as a character development in this a character development 
is that I think that Corky has been considered like a loser for for a long period of time. And I think they were trying to hint at that, like showing the, the road to home, um, showing him as a kid yeah. at the house and everything. I don't know. It, no, it, it no I think you're right. I well. think even the beginning sequence, which I mean, you mentioned in terms of like laying the groundwork of him, like, like kind of bombing at the club, that sequence is interesting because the narrative he's telling Merlin who is laying like on the couch, he's like, you know, this gentleman is his last legs and he asked Corky how it went and Corky's like, Oh no, it went good. And he's, he's describing the night to Merlin while he's on the couch and everything Corky's saying is positive, but then we see everything playing out in real time. I, I should say when it cuts to the club, everything like, like there's bits that he's saying there's true, but it's like he he can like the crowd's not in it, people are making fun of him, and then he loses it, which is not the narrative that he tells Merlin. Um, so I think what you're saying is like about Corky feeling like he has always been like second place and then a loser. Um, I think that's in there significantly. Also, his name's Quirky, so you know it had to be in his head from the start. No, I'm I'm kidding, um, but I'm not I'm not kidding. Anyway, uh, his parents never wanted him to be successful, um, but yeah, I think it's really effective there. And then when he finally has this intense moment with uh, Anne Margaret, it's like, oh, we both picked the three of clubs. Now it's time for some sexing. Like it was. It was some whiplash about what was going on there and seeing, um, seeing a very attractive Aunt Margaret and seeing Anthony Hopkins still wearing a sweater with no shirt on, uh, was, uh, was a little weird. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> there was this weird focus shot of his face <laughs> first. And I, I was like, what the hell was that <laughs> shot? Like, I don't know why they had to do that. They're like, all right, all right, Tony, we're going to get a real good close up here of your face. And then we're going to pan out and see the Anne Margaret's underneath you. Like, I, just, I don't know. I just want to be like, of the two people you have in the scene, who do you want the camera on more? I don't know. Just going to, I just, just, I have notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, poke, poke, nudge, nudge. Can we have gotten more uh, Anne Margaret in the scene, yeah, please? Like, um, yeah. But yeah, it's a very awkward sex scene. Um, but hey, you know what? That's something that we can knock off of our bingo list. We've seen Anthony Hopkins in a sex scene. So bam. I, <laughs> sure. Now, I, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't know if I had that on a list, but I guess I could cross that off now. Like if there was a, <laughs> if there was a bucket list of like things I didn't even know that I will have seen at one point in my life, that was one of them. You're right. Like it's bragging rights. Now. I, like, yeah, I don't, you know, next time that, uh, you are out at the store and you don't want to tell, you want to tell somebody a weird fact about yourself. Like, there you hey, go. hey everybody. What's, what's up? My name is Paul. And I've seen, uh, I've seen Tony hops, uh, getting it on with Ann Margaret, uh, in a movie. There you go. Like, got to get that. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> did you know a young Anthony Hopkins with the 70 year old's face once did it with Ann Margaret in a movie in which there's a ventriloquist dummy that was probably in the distance of staring at them, you know, it was. Yeah. And that, that's, that probably, one of the more menacing parts of this scene too is that you can tell uh, they're in the back room. You can see the bed moving, their legs moving, and it's just a really good close up of the <laughs> of Fats the dummy's face. <laughs> It'll just it looks pissed off. So, <laughs> yeah, it looks so mad. I'm like, all right. So now I have to I have to say at this point. Were you getting psycho vibes from this film? Yeah, I was like, cause I mean, good call. Right. Cause I mean, this is very much like 
you kind of are sympathetic to the main character, but you also know that there's something not right with him. And it's also, you get like, you know, Anne Margaret, like she's in loveless marriage and she's making bad decisions. It's like, there's a lot of this where it's like, Oh, there's a lot of like human elements coming into this, but there's a lot of danger on the edges. That's not just her husband coming home. So yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, yeah. So, um, but is the, is the dummy, is the dummy, um, um, is he the, the, um, Athey Perkins? Is he the one watching? Is he the one in the distance? Is that what we got here? I, here. I feel like the Anthony Perkins character is, is, uh, quirky and that is more, uh, of an amalgamation of like the mom and like his subconscious That's telling fair. him that, you know, like you're doing bad things, you know, like, like the, the silhouette of the mom in the window of uh, psycho, you know? Well, there's even That's a bit what- here too. I, again, I, I'm sorry. Uh, there, there, there's only a handful of like, I mean, not that this movie's not expertly directed because it is. And I, and again, I, I mentioned earlier about how the purposeful decision to, to just have dialogue and not music underneath is really, really good and effective. Did you notice the one, re- like there was the one camera movement where you had uh, Hopkins in like, you know, in the foreground, right? He, well, he, he, you saw his face in profile and then the camera rotated to the left where uh, he had fats to his right. Um, and the silhouettes lined up between them. Did, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Like there was a bit where yeah. it w- that was really, really cool. And it told you a lot without saying a thing. And I dug that. And we get a similar shot a little later too. Um, which I'll definitely mention, but, um, so yeah, after, after the weird sex scene, um, and they're just lying in the, the afterglow, um, quirky propositions, uh, peg to, you know, to leave to maybe, maybe you just, just you and I, just the two of us, uh, just the three of us. I'm sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Building sandcastles in the sky. Um, (laughs) but like, the idea is it were, she would leave Duke, but it, I think that Corky is also implying that that's wouldn't be a part of the picture too. And I think that was more for himself. Like he's telling himself bats will not be a part of it because for, for Peggy bats is not a problem. We don't know. Like that wouldn't make a difference to her. It's a, it's just a, a wooden dummy, whatever. But I think it's, it's more of a, a push for Corky to be happy again. Like, yeah. And, uh, it'll just be the two of us. Yeah. Cause even when, when he first gets into the cabin, he has a discussion with uh, Corky, which we should also mention. There's a lot of that that happens where he's just having this open dialogue with the doll and, and Corky's like, Oh, well we're really here for like a night. He's like, yeah, or two or three or whatever. It's like, so there's, you're starting to see like, there's this like falling out between him and Cor- sorry, between Corky and fats. Um, we're getting this division and the moment, like, um, Peggy starts seeing quirky for quirky. Um, it's like, oh, well maybe I don't need this other thing. And the other thing is like, no, 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 no. You, you know, basically this whole notion of like, I made you, you, you like, I'm going to stick around. And that's where a lot of this other tension starts happening and really effective. Like, again, this movie could have been treated as like, just like, it could have been, it could have winked at you. And it never did. And, and, and I like how it, it it's taking it to the extreme. Like now he's getting physical with fats uh, and they're having a, a very, a very tough um, 
time trying to get both of each other's points across. So it's like, all right, now we got to start being physical. And then all of a sudden, the the coin drops, and um, Fats notices something. And when we look, uh, there's Ben in the doorway watching this whole. Uh, this whole thing go on between my favorite scene of the whole movie is just uh Burgess Meredith walking in on Anthony Hopkins, having a violent argument with a ventriloquist dummy, right. That's talking back to him. And dude, I, the look on Meredith's face, like I, you know, there is this, like, you get the idea of him seeing somebody that like there is, there is pity. He emotes pity on, um, just, it's very small and the way he carries himself, it's an amazing sequence. Which this could have been portrayed in so many different ways. But yeah, I think pity was probably the best way because, you know, there's so much promise to Corky. I think that Ben really looked at Corky being like, you know, like I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm going to, I'm going to show you how life, how good life can be. And he, there is even a moment when he was telling Corky uh, earlier in the film, like don't turn, shit heel on me and become one of, you know, don't become Hollywood, you know, because so many people do that. I like the bit where he tells him earlier, he's like, Hey, if I invite you to this certain place in New York and have a free lunch, you'll, you know, you'll made it. And that's when he invites him to that lunch. That's when he mentions like, Hey, you got to take this test. And that's when Corky flips out, right? Like you can tell that Ben, as much as he's a businessman and understands everything going on, he does care for this guy. and was like, Hey, don't, don't, let them ruin you. You got something special and you honestly see that he cares more about him than just a paycheck. Um, and just the look on his face, just, it is devastating and credit to Burgess Meredith being in this, like, like low budget genre film about a guy in a dummy just selling the hell out of the sequence. It is amazing. He did a terrific job and, um, it gets, it only gets better here because, you know, he, he could lean into him hard because for all, for all it's worth here, Corky has dicked him over. Yeah. You know, he's left him holding the bag. And like, I, if, if it was a, if it was somebody with less heart, uh, as Ben's character is supposed to be, uh, or Ben is rather, um, they wouldn't deal with this shit. They wouldn't go 90 miles to go find this dude out in the sticks. Like he wouldn't care at all. You know, he went there personally too. He didn't have somebody drive him there. Yeah. He, he has enough invested into this guy emotionally that he had to go there and try to help him out. And he says, so is this what's happening? Like, is this why you didn't want to take the test? You didn't want somebody to find out about this. Yeah. He, he, he calls it out. He's like, uh, you are having some, uh, some problems with, uh, your personality and this dummy you're projecting. And that's, yeah, we, we start to figure that out. And that's when I played the, the audio at the beginning here where he's like, yeah, he's like, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I think you've lost it or whatever. And, uh, Corky's like, well, just give me, just give me a moment to listen. He's like, okay, fine. Well, we'll talk for a second. And he's like, do me a favor. If you can not make, like, if you can keep fats shut up for five minutes, five minutes and that sequence goes on forever with Hopkins is sitting there twisting and be like, well, can we talk or whatever? And, um, and you can see him just squirming. It's almost like, um, it's almost like a smoker, right? Like it's, it's somebody that's addicted that is like, sure. I can quit at any time. What has it been five minutes yet? It's only been 30 seconds. Oh yeah. He's tweaking. He's tweaking the whole time. 
And the one shot that uh, I wanted to bring up is there is a perfect like uh, side shot of of bats, and it, when it pans to the right, their faces are lined up again perfectly, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like it sh- it really shows that this is the shadow shadow casted by Fats over Corky, and Fats is he's the tough part of him right now. He needs him. He he's like a a crutch that if he doesn't have him, he he knows that he can't stand. And he keeps on with no real dialogue between uh, Ben and Corky. Corky keeps on asking him like, what time is it? What time is it? And like, how long has it been? And at one point it literally is just like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) and it's like, you could tell the dude's jonesing um, for his comfort. They're like that, like he is, he's like the, the comfort blanket, you know, whatever you want to call it. I, I, I now need to see a version of this where the Linus, it just has a talking blanket. I need to see that from the peanuts. No, anyway, uh, can I, can I mention, uh, Burgess Meredith with his love of cigars and then opening these glass tubes and just whipping them away from him and breaking these glass tubes that keeps happening through the movie. Did you notice that every time you pull a cigar out, he'd have the glass tube and just whip it to the side. You hear it break. It was really funny. I, I like that as a like a little character beat that uh, I'm not sure who decided that, but it is an interesting thing to kind of build into the character. I, I think it might have also showed his frustration because when things were going right, he would still have a cigar, but we wouldn't see him throw the glass. But as soon as he finds out that Corky had a problem with uh, getting the medical test, he throws one of the glass containers in his office. And now he throws one in the cabin. That's so fair. you know that he's frustrated. I just if you have if you have a glass tube throwing money, you you know you're you're good. But uh, but yeah, so uh, you know, Corky fails the test. Uh, you know, uh, Ben's about to leave, and this is where not only is this movie weird, this is when it gets to like it kicks up a gear, and I, and I'm I'm sorry to say. I can't help, but I laughed really hard whenever uh, Ben was leaving and Corky went to go confront Ben and he beat Ben to death. So he thought with the dummy it, it's effective, but also really funny. Yeah. The audio alone is just like, what the hell is going on here? Because it's, it's fat. Like if you were being flung through the air, you would make weird noises, right? You'd be like, ah, ah. And that's what it, we're getting is, Fats being flung through the air as a um, a melee weapon to take out Ben, and just like him, just making weird noises in the Fats' voice, like it's so ridiculous. And but I mean, we're watching a real like a real dramatic scene here, though. Ben is getting a, uh, his beaten to death in the middle of the woods. Yeah, which is scary, but it's just the fact that the the beating weapon's a a dummy. (laughs) It's like it's just like yeah, yeah. But I also like it later where he's like, oh, the 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 dummy like uh, Fats is like, oh, am I okay? It's like his head's crushed. It's like it's like my good. It's like like, yeah. He's like whining. He's like, oh, oh, what's? Oh, I'm hurting. (laughs) I like I like that. Um, that uh. Corky like bandages up the head and then puts like a different wig on top of him. And it's like, can you notice? He's like, no, no, it's fine. It's like, nah, I can pretty tell. I can still pretty see that you use this uh wooden puppet to beat the life out of somebody. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. We'll move on. It's fine. And I, I'm going to have to ask a question later when another weapon is exposed. So, but we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, Fats tells, 
Um, Corky, we got to get rid of the body. Let's strip him. We'll take you know his wallet and everything. So if somebody does find a body, no one's going to know know who he is until it's too late. Um, and he tells uh, Corky to to swim out into the middle of the lake and dump the body in the middle of the lake. I there are boats there. Just as a heads up, there's boats. It's a lake with a dock and everything. Why is he swimming out into the middle of the lake? Mm-hmm. That that I didn't understand. Especially when he said there were snapping turtles. I'm like, yeah, it ain't happening, dude. I'm not going out there with snapping turtles. That's fair. But it's like, when he, so he, we find out then that, uh, um, Ben is actually still alive and he starts to fight with, uh, with quirky. And I just got to ask you a question. Like it, 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 how it wouldn't take much to sink, uh, Burgess Meredith, right? Like you really, like how many rocks do you need to sink him? Like it wouldn't take much to put him in the bottom of a lake. Maybe just some of those pebbles that he was hiding earlier. From, yeah, uh, from yeah, Peggy. The, the sleight of hand, which I I was joking while watching the movie. Whenever uh, uh, he was hiding them from Anne Margaret, he was just putting them in his mouth. That was my my joke. I was like, just stop asking me to hide marble or hide uh, uh, pebbles. But yeah, it's like Bruce Smith. Like, what? He's like seventy five pounds or whatever. Like, he, it wouldn't take much, you know. Like, I'm sure his clothes would get wet enough to sink him. If he just done like the um, the Jason Voorhees thing from uh, from Jason Lives, tied a, ro- a rock around his neck and then drops him in the middle of the lake, then we don't have him anymore. He could hang out down there at the like, bottom like a by pet Jason, rock, though. like not a big rock, but like a pet rock, like something small, like you know, like um, anyway. But yeah, so so that happens, right? And then um, and that's when we get a. Uh, uh, we get uh, Ed Lauder showing back up again, right? We get him showing not back up, but he shows back to the house with his wife, right? So we get uh we get uh Duke showing up and that complicates yeah, Pe- things. Yeah. Yeah, Peggy uh comes to um Corky's cabin and says, Hey, I want you to come up to the house, but just so you know, Duke came home in the middle of the night. He wants to see us together. And you can see the Duke is watching from the house window. <laughs> yeah. It should have been well, funny, but it kind of was funny. Yeah, it's uh, it's creepy actually. It's it's like, well, I mean I don't blame a dude, really. I mean, like, here's a dude who shows up off season, and I mean, he's been gone on a business trip. It just seems too, too fishy. So, but either way, um, Duke wants to see their interactions with each other. From what Peggy's saying, so <laughs> so it, um, if that was the case, what do you think the best foot forward would be? Just show up and have some coffee and have some light discussion, or bring your ventriloquist dummy with you. I think the dummy was the best plan. Yeah. I think that I, I, what, what better way to show somebody emotionally stable and yeah, have your shit yeah. together than to bring a dummy. Yeah. With you. It's like, oh, I brought my dummy with me also. If you just don't, don't look in my car, but there's a series of mannequin parts. I'm not going to talk about it, but they're there. It's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, whatever works for some people. I mean, I, hell, hell, there used to be a girl that used to come to the store all the time when I worked at the mall that had a tail all the time. Don't know why she did, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Whatever works for people's comforts. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I once saw a girl with a tail at a Denny's and I was like, I don't understand life anymore. But I was also at a Denny's, so I didn't realize that like the barrier for entry of understanding life was really low. So Yeah. But uh yeah, so <laughs> So he brings he brings uh fats to the table and you know there's a little bit of concern on Duke's face, obviously. And, you know, of course Corky's trying to play it off. He comes in with a smile, does a couple gags from uh, Fat's perspective, and it, it, it seems to put Duke at a little bit of ease. Uh, but Duke has to do some errands 
outside, maybe tend the grounds or whatever. And when he goes out there, uh, he notices that uh, Ben's car is there. It's Rolls yeah, Royce. Like, Royce. A- yeah, it's like that's yeah. a that's a fancy car at the time, right? Like, it's a Rolls Royce, and there's no there's nobody there claiming it. Um, I also want to step back. Ed Lauder's amazing this, but how great would have Randy Quaid been in this role? I I think he would have been uh, probably spot for spot on this one. I think <laughs> they would have probably been the same character. Honestly, I mean, I like Randy Quaid in certain roles. He's a little ridiculous, obviously, in the Family Vacation films, but he could play serious roles very well. Yeah, it's something about the way Ed Lauder's beard and like just his face was constantly red because I'm sure it was cold as hell there. But like wearing the knit cap, I was just like, oh, why couldn't this been Randy Quaid? <laughs> like, like Midnight Midnight Express, Randy Quaid. <laughs> Yeah, but Ed Lauder's fine, but it's like, you know, if I had my druthers, it would have been Randy Quaid. But, uh, yeah, so he goes and he finds the car. Um, obviously, he, he's concerned about why in the hell this $80,000 car is sitting here. And, um, you know, Corky says, oh, it, well, it's, it must be Ben. Like, he's my agent. Uh, he must have come out here to see what was going on and everything. Like, well, where the hell is he? He's like, I don't know, but let's get this car unstuck or whatever. So while... While uh, Duke is taking care of the car, um, Corky goes in and makes a fake call to Ben's office and throws out this like you know one-sided conversation that you can hear. You know, you can see Peggy's listening to it, and you know it's basically to convince Peggy like not only is um, is Ben in the office and he's still worried about him and everything. But also, like, he's confirming his love for Peggy. He's telling him, like, well, this isn't puppy love and all that stuff. Like, this girl really, really cares about me. She's going to leave her husband and all that. It's like, okay, I don't know if that was all necessary to tell. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you know, I would he, be a little pissed he, off if he, I was uh, Peggy. Well, he knows, like, so, yeah, it, he knows that she's hearing him. So, also, it's like, there's this point of me where it's like, she should know that he is known for being a performer that interacts with like a party that's himself. So the idea of him like reacting to a phone call, I don't know. There's a red flag there of being like uh, the one person of the three here that could pretend that they're listening to somebody is on a phone and I can't hear the other half of the conversation. Eh, That's fine. We're fine. And how much information he's divulging too? like, why yeah. would your, why would your agent need to know all that shit? Yeah, <laughs> I know it's, it's very, it, it's, it works for the movie, but it's the whole thing. I'm just like, Oh, I mean, I don't know why I'd bring his vehicle up here. Also, he seemed, he seemed pretty lightweight would sink at a moment's notice. Like, why would you say that out loud? He didn't say that, but like, just, you know, like he didn't seem very long for life. Last time I saw him, you know, it just, it, he, he just lays this groundwork. This is like way too much information to try to make it sound like everything's perfectly normal. And, um, so a little bit later here, um, we get Duke and, uh, Peggy, uh, having a conversation about like what was really going on. He's laying into her now. He's also drinking heavily. He thinks that something has been going on. He wants the truth. And she, of course, is being, uh, you know, vague about like, you know, what, uh, Corky's intentions were, uh, he, she doesn't know anything about the Ben, the agent, like, but this all seems a little too coincidental for Duke at this point. So he's getting pissed. He's getting a little physical with Peggy, but of course, you know, he has to ultimately ask the question, did you have sex with him? 
And she, of course, says no to make sure, obviously, so that she doesn't get hurt and she can possibly get out of this situation alive with uh, with yeah. Corky. Because, I mean, he seems off the handle at this point um, and possibly violent. And But she, I don't know why she says this, but she says, but I wish I did. Like, why? I don't, I don't know. Maybe not the best thing to say to a guy who's been drinking um, and looks like possibly losing it all right now. So she goes to town to take care of some errands. I guess she says to Duke that she has to do some thinking. And um, Duke offers to take uh, Corky fishing out on the boat. <laughs> Which the whole thing is just like, hey, you available to go on this boat? And Corky's like, I don't know. And he's like, come on out. He's like, Okay. Like none of that, none of that didn't seem awkward or like meaning other things. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, Hey, I'll show you how to dump a body. Yeah, you know, like, like <laughs> he's like, Hey Corky, have you ever seen the talented Mr. Ripley? No. Why do you ask? Come out on this boat. We'll talk for a second. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so like he convinces them to come out onto the boat. And of course, while they're out, um, like in the middle of the lake at this point, he, uh, Duke says he's trying to bait Corky and says to Corky that, yeah, yeah, Peg said that you guys had sex last night. And of course, you know, Corky laughs it off and he's like, why is that so funny? You know, you shouldn't be laughing right now. He's like, I see what you're doing here. He's, he's like, you're trying to make me admit to something that didn't happen. And that's when, you know, like, I think there's a little bit of relief on Duke. The steam comes out of him a little bit. He's like, but it seems like he, he's, at, at a loss of words too because mm-hmm. he says well she said that she wanted to have sex with you and i don't know where to go from here like he's he's defeated now yeah you know and uh but it's at this point now that all of a sudden he catches a snag on his line uh duke this is yeah and uh it's a heavy ba- beast and he's trying to haul it in it's it's giving him a real fight and all of a sudden you see behind him over his shoulder that um Corky is freaking out. He's, he's like, yeah, sweating I, like he's crazy. Like, I'd like to go home now. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll like, start. I start steering us back. Whatever you know, he tries to take the oars to move him back, and uh, Duke tells him to knock it off. He's going to break his line and everything. So, as he's reeling it in, whatever this is, closer and closer, uh, we see Corky take one of the oars, and he's about to hit Duke. But finally, at the last second, when he's about to swing the oar, we see that it's like a big branch that was stuck at the bottom of the lake. Yeah, I got to ask you. So how many times you've been fishing in your life? Uh, way too many. Uh, okay. so, <laughs> I don't like fishing, but I, yes, I, <laughs> <laughs> I hate fishing. <laughs> okay. So you've caught snags before, right? You've gotten snags. Um, did it like you saw the branches being pulled up from this? Like it's like he was pulling up like I don't know the deadfall from Pet Cemetery in this line. Wouldn't his line broke by then? Like don't you think the fishing line would have broke? I just I know it's a small thing, but I was watching this. So I was like, that is the heaviest like like line I've ever seen outside of like those guys that bring the marlins in like on the ocean. <laughs> yeah, he's hauling in jaws, you know. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know the, the test uh, of lions and that he may have been out there catching smallmouth bass or something like that. So he uses a higher tension line, but I mean, the fact that he brought this, I mean, like massive branch up, it, I think it probably would have broken at that point. And his, I don't know, like, 
it's not a big it thing. It's just, moving it's, it's just like he could have pulled a boot up or <laughs> whatever yeah. it would have been. It would have been fine. However, my second, um, well, actually, yeah, my second real laugh out loud moment of this movie, and we didn't even talk about earlier when Aunt Margaret like starts bursting into tears and then we cut to her face covered in mascara, which I just, I physically jumped. I was scared by how she became the crow for a second. Um, <laughs> that that happened out of nowhere. But the the bit, whatever, it's like, oh, it's just a snag. And then then that uh, then Duke looks over. He's like, hey, what's that over there on the shore? And it's the washed up body of Burgess Meredith. Like, I I howled. I could not help it. I lost my mind. It was so great and so ridiculous. I kind of like I lost my breath for a second because I was like. <laughs> I was like, here's Corky sighing the the relief of like uh, a man who just like escaped near death. And he takes this huge swig of uh, scotch too. He's like, oh, okay, cool. We're good. And that's when you see the look on Duke's face and you can see, you can see something off in the distance. Like, oh shit. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Like here comes the other car. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, like they go and they try to find a wallet, which there's not one there or whatever anyway. And then, uh, then Duke sends quirky off to call for help or whatever. Right. So this is whenever like all, all the dominoes start filing. And this is where we get to the, like the last part of the movie where, um, like Duke is now like super suspicious because, you know, I don't know, dead man on shore, fancy Rolls Royce of an old, uh, old agent, old man on the beach or whatever, you know, the sandbar, you know, he, he's not a dumb man. <laughs> He starts to kind of put it together and that's when we get to the bit of him and exploring, uh, Corky's cabin, right. And finding clues. And, um, yeah, this is whenever we get to another moment of like amazingness, but also some of the shots made me laugh. And, and when I mean laugh, I mean, like, I adore this movie for what I've seen. It's just, some of this is just like, this just happened. And it's, you got Ed Lauder digging through all of the drawers and suitcases and everything. And he goes over to confront the doll. And this is when you're going to ask me about a different weapon, right? A certain weapon showing up. So, yeah. And uh, I, I do want to mention too, if you watch closely enough, the puppet's head moves. Yeah. Um, So like it gives, I mean, you know, if, if um, Duke is walking around in there and out of his peripheral, he see, he had to have seen this. So he goes over to investigate the puppet and as he's looking closer and closer at it all of a sudden a switchblade in the in the puppet's hand comes out and starts stabbing duke (laughs) where was the switchblade i mean why i mean why didn't we use this switchblade earlier instead of using bats as a melee weapon to beat somebody to death with like I just, I'm like, wouldn't a stabbing have been a little bit easier? I don't know. Yeah, but, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, like, you wouldn't have had somebody screaming in the woods either. Yeah, well, <laughs> two, it's, two it's people. Re- some of the some of the actions from the the person dying reminded me of the season four episode, the new exhibit uh, that you you like a lot. And I like too. But he's going up to like the dummy, and all of a sudden, it's like, there's a knife, and it's like, and then the knife, you know, like the the dummy stabs you know, Duke, but then like he, um, falls into the knife and then falls into, uh, the, the knife cutting his throat. Like, it's like, so it's like, it's like you have, you have multiple different ways to fall towards the knife is not a good one. I don't know. Just, uh, that's, that's my advice, but it's an amazing sequence. And then, uh, we find out that Hopkins is behind like this curtain, like sweaty as all get out. 
Uh, and he was the one manipulating the doll, which, um, it's still, it's still a really great sequence, but it was just seeing how Ed Lauder was like, Oh no, I got stabbed. Oh no, I fell on the knife. Oh no, my neck went towards the knife. Now I'm dead. It was really funny. Yeah. And this definitely solidifies my, my uh, thoughts about it being more of a psycho type of kind of comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I had the, I had the feeling prior to this, but seeing this sequence, it it's fats. It's fats on his own volition stabbing uh duke i don't think that corky knew what was going on that's that's the that is the clear um separation between these two characters you mean, now, because you mean mentally, is a character you think mentally um hopkins like you think corky was like checked out like and and the in operating fats as fats as an individual is what you're saying correct okay. yeah and it's you know like he's running the show and just especially when you see Corky come out from the 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 shadows behind that curtain or whatever, like his reaction to the scene is just like he's uh, surprised. He's he's he doesn't know what to do. He's I mean he's sweating like a maniac. Yeah. Um, so um, and you know and of course uh, Fats is giving out instructions again. Like hey, we gotta we gotta dump this body now. Let's let's do this. Let's work fast here. Yeah. Let's put them both in a boat and go out to the middle of the lake and now put uh, Duke and uh, Ben and sink them both and kill two birds with one stone, which was a great joke, by the way. Um, but like, so I still, we're going to get to the end here in like a second. I still had this weird suspicion and I called it out before the end of the movie. Now it's completely wrong that because there was that year gap between um Corky not being successful and then suddenly being successful and Merlin passing away. And there was this early groundwork laid for like this, like connection via like, you know, mental telepathy. I thought for whatever reason that it was going to be shown that Merlin transferred to uh, fats and that was going to be what was going on. Um, even still at this point, I still kind of believe that, because there was that whole supposed mental connection. I don't know if you ever got that vibe, but the movie just kind of left Merlin off screen to die and then um, quirky to get successful. So that's why I thought what was going on. I was wrong, but I still kind of felt that even at this point through the first viewing, I thought that I missed something like I, maybe I could turned away from the TV too quickly or whatever. I thought maybe that Merlin had something to do with it as well, or there was some other, there's like a spirit, whatever that was going on with the, the, the puppet. And, uh, you know, it's like, I, I guess what the outcome of this entire film is, and we'll, fa- we'll be talking about that in here in a second was kind of surprising to me in a sense. Yeah, that's fair. So we got, we got Duke dead. We got uh Ben dead. And so, uh, now it's just for, <laughs> uh, it's for, um, it's for quirky to finally be with, uh, with peg, uh, but you know, obviously he's killed two people he's freaking out and, uh, and fats is not exactly, um, enthused with the idea of, of the two of them being together. And that's when we get the whole, you mentioned psycho. There's this whole thing too, of we get quirky eventually like, you know, talking to peg and she telling him like, get out. And she would go to her bedroom and like close the door. And we got a really creepy sequence of him, uh, talking through the door as fats. Like that whole thing was just uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. And I just, that's where I was kind of like, I was confused, especially 
because we don't fats is not there yeah. and we'll see that in a second but fats is not in the hallway with corky and so when corky trying to be fat says that he's um corky has whittled a uh, a wooden heart for peggy and he's gonna leave it there and then she, he's gonna leave as she opens up the door to come get it uh under the impression that uh corky and fats are gone we see anthony hopkins uh corky uh hiding behind a small wall and i like that they did his hair exactly like uh, fats mm-hmm. like he looks exactly like him. They're wearing the exact same. Yeah, they're wearing the same point. sweater and like you know a collar. Yeah, it's creepy how it's like. How do you how do you find the same clothes for you and your puppet? Whatever. Yeah, so like I think that also is supposed to drive home the idea that they are one in the same. Like the the idea is firmly planted um, that this is a split personality, and so. Uh, the next scene, and it's a quick it's a quick scene here, but um, we see a bloody knife hit the floor, and now Corky is back into his um, cabin talking to Fats uh, and trying to explain what happened. Um, you know, he tells her he tells Fats about the you know how Peggy reacted when she picked up the the wooden uh, heart, and at this point, we're still kind of like as an audience, we're confuse it all right did he did he stab her did he kill her because there's blood but then he reveals that he stabbed himself in the stomach uh and it's a really deep wound and he's dying Mm -hmm. and uh he's explaining to fats like this is it man like we're this this is us and um fats is because of the, the injury obviously to corky um he says that we're both dying and i'm gonna die with you you're going to die with me like this, this whole, uh, I, I guess it was more of like a, I guess some kind of theological idea. Like, it, it, you know, I, I, you were all me and I was all you kind of, yeah. um, mantra and yeah. And so, um, he bleeds out and he dies there in a cabin and, um, we get this really cool, uh, shot of, it goes out the window and expands. How out. did they do that? Like, that's what I, I just want to stop for a second. Like they're in the cabin focused on Anthony Hopkins and fats and they pull out through a window and it's this big crane like shot coming back, like pulling back. Um, and you, it's, it's seamless. I have no idea how they pull that off then. I, I love shots like this too. It's, it's done in camera, you know, it's a real simple shot, but it, it sells the scene so yeah. well because not only are we getting the the bleakness of, of uh, Corky and Fat dying in the cabin, but when we pan out in this, this dark um, terrain here, we hear the voice of Peggy come out of the shadows and she's yelling out to Corky saying, hey, you know, let's give it a try. Um, you know, I thought about it and why not, you know? And she does this weird uh like interpretation of fats and that's the end of the movie it's really it's a strange ending it is um her dialogue or monologue rather yeah it's weird but yeah that's it oh she says something and it's like kind of like rude and abrasive that sounds like fats and she takes the wooden heart and throws it up in the air and there's a freeze frame on a blurred shot of the wooden heart it's just a weird weird ending to the movie and it's like there's still that notion of like 
Okay. So then here's, here's the questions I have for you, Terry. Uh, one, uh, do you think this was just a dissociative personality? Um, or do you think there was more going on between him and the dummy that there might, there might've been something, um, not well, maybe, yeah, maybe supernatural or, or, you know, extrasensory. Um, because there's, there's implications that the dummy's still operating on its own. There's a couple shots here and there of where you see an eyeball move. Is it, is it actually happening or is it just our perception of, uh, Corky's mind splitting? I think that that's the perfect interpretation of this. I think it's, uh, Corky's mind splitting. And for a, a, a split second there, we're seeing, um, what he thinks are fat's reactions. Like, like you're, the one scene in particular that I think you're, you're thinking of is that you know, he's having a conversation with fats and then he gets off the couch and fats is still like the face muscles are still moving on the, on the dummy. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, he's carrying on the conversation. And I think that it is kind of, I, I think it's a little confusing as an audience, but I think that's what they're trying to convey there. It's that he's, he, his, his mind is fractured and, and, the dummy is an extension of him. So then what do you think about, uh, with, with, uh, Peggy at the end where she starts speaking like fats, is it just her like acknowledging that Corky is going to be like the, he has, it's two sides or is she also kind of starting to kind of fall apart herself a little bit? Like, what do you think about that? You know, I'm not sure. I, th- I think it's more or less like just, she's playing, she's playing up to Corky and like his, his, his quirkiness, like his weirdness, like, Hey, if fats is so much of a part of your life, then I guess I, I can be weird like you too. I don't know. I think it's just like her just being strange for the moment. Fair I, 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 I mean, my wife asked me about this scene too. She's like, do you think that like, it was like she, the doll was possessed and now she's kind of possessed by it. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think that at all. I think it's just some weird uh, monologue that they wanted to throw in there. And I'm fine with that. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's one way or the other. Um, like I, I like that there's enough, there's enough breadcrumbs here that you can kind of like, kind of like it's, it's a lot to, to mull over. There isn't a definitive answer. I mean, I agree with you, but that doesn't, it's not a, um, it's not a 100% like, like lockdown definitive answer. Right. But I mean, this, there's some discussion here and I enjoy, I enjoy that. Um, another film I would throw out there like psycho, which I mean, it's definitive that, um, that Norman is his mother and he's gone, but there's plenty there to chew on a film. I would throw out there that kind of gives you this ending a little bit of like, well, maybe there was something going on was session nine. Um, I don't know if you've seen that or not. Um, that, that always kind of hints at like, is this something bigger than what it is? Or is it just somebody losing their mind? This is a movie that I, a lot of people have told me that I have to see. Um, I still have not. Um, I, I just, there's not, a, there's I, not I, a dummy in it. I can tell you that, but David Caruso's in it. So your mileage may vary. Oh no. He's David. really he like, this is before, <laughs> this is before CSI. So he got his hand smacked after, you know, was it NYPD blue or whatever it was. And was starting to, he did some low budget genre stuff and he's, he's not bad in it. I'm just going to say it's not him taking off sunglasses every three seconds and then hearing an Eagle screech or whatever. It's all right. Well, uh, that gives me a better confirmation that I need to see it. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I just like that there's just a little bit here that just leaves you like guessing just a smidge. And I think that I think there's enough in the corners that leave you wondering. And I think that's I think that for this movie, I think that's a good way to land. Right. Um, 
I'm not always happy with those endings. I'm not always, I don't think they're, they're always effective, but this one, this one, because of that, it's going to stick with me. And, and I, you know, this, when I, we cover primarily the twilight zone, this felt like a twilight zone oh, sure. storyline and just like having it being a longer format like this. Perfect. It was like, somebody probably could have sold this to rod back in the day and been like, throw it on, you know, the small screen and see what happens. And we could have had like a really chopped down version that wouldn't have been, uh, as thought provoking. Uh, but you know, this is a- aligned completely with, uh, that type of storytelling. Well, and I, and I will say that yeah, there is one It's season three, episode 33, the dummy, uh, that was written by Rod Serling, uh, that has a uh, cliff Robertson in it where he plays a, a like, um, a performer that's a ventriloquist and he, and he believes his dummy's talking to him and like his agents, like you got to get over yourself and you need to stop drinking. And the ending on that's a humdinger. Like, um, but this is taken in a different direction and I, um, yeah, this, you're right. This was, this is messed up. And I, whew, I really liked this movie a great deal. I thought this was a fun journey. Um, I'd watch this again. Um, I want to own this on Blu-ray, but, um, <laughs> that it's not available stateside. It, there's only, there's, there's a Blu-ray release that was uh British that's region free. So I will be able to grab it. And if anybody else that has a region free player, you can buy it as like $24, but it's a bummer that this hasn't been picked up by like by a local, um, I don't know. I could see like arrow or like Severin doing a remaster of this and putting out a really banging special features version of it. Yeah, there's a, I mean, vinegar, vinegar syndrome yeah. and all that. Like, I, th- there's plenty of companies like this would be right up their alley. And you know, for '78, this is actually a pretty highly ranked film for uh, for the genre of horror. Like, uh, I, you know, I, I'm glad that you uh, you suggested this one. We've we've kind of danced around it for a little bit. Uh, I'm glad that we've watched it and uh, we covered it for the for the show. Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert put this number nine on his top films of '78. Which, you know, that's cool, right? So, like, for some people, it worked. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, do you have anything else you want to say? I have some trivia. I have a little bit of trivia about this we can get into before we get out of here. No, what's your trivia, man? All right. So, uh, the original uh, uh, director for this was Wayne Jack Nicholson to play the part. Um, uh, he turned it down. Nicholson turned it down. Uh, there's, there's some debate about why uh, the one bit of trivia here says because he didn't want to wear a hairpiece. And then there's other trivia saying that's not true. I want to believe it's true. They didn't want to hair piece when I wear a hair piece. Uh, Spielberg expressed interest in directing the film. It considered casting Robert De Niro in the lead. That would have been interesting and weird. Um, uh, Lawrence Olivier was originally offered the role of Ben. So I think that's great because he was like, since, um, uh, Hopkins was his understudy. That would have been interesting, but he couldn't do it. So Burgess Meredith was cast. Uh, Gene Wilder was the original choice for Corky, but uh, Attenborough and uh, Goldman, they, they wanted him, but the producers didn't because they didn't want a comedian in this movie. Could you imagine Gene Wilder in this role? That would have been crazy. That would have been fascinating. I would have loved to have seen it, especially when you um, would have been able to compare that and um, you know, Charlie, well, I'm sorry, Willy Wonka and Charlie Factory. Yeah, like that would have been a really cool comparison. Yeah, considering how like straightforward he would have played it. Um, and I, so supposedly as it goes, someone asked uh, Wilder at a book signing years later what role he wished he would have gotten. And he said, quirky in this movie, he's like, he felt that the role in the movie would have worked much better with a comedian in the role. And maybe, I think Hopkins is amazing in this, but man, Gene Wilder, 
I mean, the world would have had to like stopped and looked at him differently because of this. And that would have been like, I, that would have been real challenging. Like I, I like, I wonder, like, I think this movie's wonderful on its own. I think Anthony Hopkins does a great job, but Gene Wilder have been so disarming and just, this would have torn you apart with him in it. Man, I wish, I, I wish we could see that. Uh, yeah. now, now that you say that, that actually sounds like a, a much more, uh, a, a compelling, um, movie and not that anything is against uh, Hopkins playing the, the role, but I think that would have been really fascinating to watch. Yeah. Um, also here, uh, uh, was it this movie, uh, RL Stein was, this was his inspiration for his dummy slappy and his children hoarder st- series goosebumps. Um, so slappy, uh, shows up. I, so I was confused, Terry. We were talking about maybe covering some goosebumps because why not? But I couldn't find an episode with slappy. But supposedly in the one trivia says Slappy has the same sounding voice as, as Fats. And what the book? How do you say it's Slappy who sounds like Anthony Hopkins? Like whatever. I don't know. Um, supposedly Slappy shows up in, in some kind of video form. I've never read Goosebumps. I've not seen a TV series. Um, I didn't believe it actually showed up. But either way, I know the dummy from the, the cover art of the books looks like this guy and it is creepy. I think the uh, I think the slappy characters in the movies with jack black oh that would make okay that makes more sense that's fair because all the characters from the books are coming to life okay i've never seen it but you know that's what i'd have to assume that's fair because he um yeah all right <laughs> so, so i don't know I'm, yeah i don't know anyway <laughs> so yeah let's go do it for a discussion about magic uh, i know this is a little bit longer episode that we had uh i just uh, this movie's wonderful it is wonderfully weird it is 70s is all get out hopkins is great I, 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 every performance is wonderful in this and the directing is very confident and it makes me want to go read the, the book by William Goldman. Like I kind of want to get into that too. Um, this is for a movie that I've, I've known about forever because the, the cover art for the DVD is very, um, it's very striking. Like you can't not, not see it. Like if you see like the dummy and Hopkins, like younger face, his young old man face, I believed I was telling Terry for start recording. I thought I owned this movie just because I, the cover art was in my head. Um, and I used to work at a blockbuster, you know, we talk about like days gone by. And in the last days of my store, I bought a lot of movies for cheap. I thought this was one of them. I guess I didn't pick it up. However, stocking the horror section all the time, this cover art has burnt burned in my head for like what? 20 years. And I've just had not seen it till now. And I'm glad that we watched it for this show. Yeah, great recommendation. Um, glad we covered it. Um, very, very um, interesting film. I, I, I'm kind of like, I'm not sure if I like it still. Um, I will say that it, it was a fun ride. Uh, I, I think it was a, it was, it was fun. I feel bad. Like I don't want to say it was a bad film, and I don't want to say that I loved it either. It was just it was it was good. It was a good film. I had fun with it. Yeah, I I, I liked it a lot. So anyway, so um yeah, that's going to do it for us this week uh, for our discussion about the film Magic. Again, uh, I know we spoiled a lot of it. I hope you guys stopped listening uh, at the time and watched the film because I think it's one worth watching. I think it's one. This this is one that's like. I, I'm surprised it doesn't get mentioned more in terms of like the cast and, and what went into this. Oof, it, it, it's a cool movie. Um, yeah. 
Uh, so that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, you guys can find us on uh, Facebook at Strange Highways. Um, we're posting images all the time for the things we do in terms of like right now. I, I promise in the next couple of days there's going to be a GIF of a gentleman turning around from some uh, leather-clad biker aliens, and he's just going to run into a door frame. That's coming. That'll be fun. Um, yeah, and uh, you guys can email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. And Terry, how can people find us otherwise? So we're also on stra- uh, doing the Instagram thing here, uh, Strange Highways Podcast. Uh, please follow us on there. Uh, like some of the fun images we're putting up on there. And, and please, like what Paul said, uh, if you can go to wherever you're listening to your podcast, just write a review, even if it's something bad. We're, we're willing to take your criticism, man. Uh, just give us something. Talk to us, people, because uh, we love to the interactions and that. And, you know, it, it's only going to make us better and make us uh, strive harder to give, a, give you a better show. Yeah. So, okay. So next week we're still continuing our detours. Um, you know, before we get to the second half season five twilight zone, we decided we're going to visit the pilot of tales from the dark side, the TV series. We've covered one other episode of tales from the dark side here on the show, but we've not gone back to the pilot. This is called trick or treat. It is, um, uh, co-written by George Romero, who was the guy who brought the series to TV. Um, I've not seen this. Um, I'm excited to get into it. I know uh, Terry's a big uh, George Romero fan, so we'll have plenty to say about it. Yeah, I am stoked about this. If anybody, if anybody knows anything about Tales from the Dark Side, the series, it was supposed to be the um, series adaptation of Creepshow. So um, this is going to be a hell of a ride for us. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to do that uh, next week. Uh, in the meantime, have a good week. Have a safe week. And... I don't know if, if, if you've not seen somebody from high school in like 15 years and they show up with a dummy, just close the door. Cause nothing good will ever come from that. Uh, yeah. Don't trust any dummies. That's all I got. <laughs>